Hi, here's Oliver. Before we start, a quick heads up. If you want to build and scale your personal brand, I'm offering my Unignorable Masters program for 60% off at the moment. You and I will be working together for five weeks because the invisible don't reach their full potential life, the unignorable do. And I want you to become unignorable. Now, on to this week's episode. Yeah, I think it's important to also allow to fail. Also internally at Sponsu, so everyone is allowed to fuck up. This culture is important for people to have the faith that they can try out new things. And only if you do that, you can be successful as someone who is challenging the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of Speedback a CEO. My name is Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Our guest today is Andreas Kitzing. He's the CEO and founder of sports sponsorship platform Sponsu. He and his team have a clear mission, disrupting the otherwise traditional sports sponsorship industry. When studying for an MBA at Cambridge University, Andreas came to a realization. Sports sponsorship is a huge lucrative industry, but at the time, there was no successful platform linking athletes and sponsors. With Sponsu, he set out to change this. The core principle of Sponsu is to use data and analytics to link everyone from Olympic athletes to local sports clubs to sponsors. So today, Sponsor is Europe's number one digital marketplace for sports sponsorship. Andreas, welcome to Speak Like a CEO. Hi. Hi, Oliver. Hi, Lena. Uh, many thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to answer all your questions that you have about Sponsor, about sponsorship, or starting a startup in general. Yeah. So how did the idea come about? Was it accurate what I said? You just had the idea at university? Well, that's pretty accurate, but it's not that we had a eureka moment and it just flew by uh, we actually really worked on generating an, an idea back when i started my degree at the university of cambridge i concluded that it would be a nice opportunity to start another startup i already had two other ventures before and we kind of did our own startup weekend in hamburg with friends uh, while i was visiting home so we locked ourselves in with beer and pizza and everything um, that belongs to it, brainstormed for problems first. So for example, we identified as a problem that it's really difficult to find a parking place in the city or as another problem that it's quite challenging for athletes and teams to find sponsors. In the second step, we came up with solutions to the problems. Well, to most of it, we didn't find really good ideas for the parking place problem. And then the third step, we evaluated all our solutions based on how feasible they were, how uh, much market potential there was for it. And uh, in the end, the idea to Sponsu was the one that was by quite far the most compelling to us. I would say that digital marketplaces have become all the range, range right now. Um, yeah. What are some of the I guess, things that people should be aware of when creating a digital marketplace and how can you do that successfully? It's, it's like a chicken and the egg problem, right? You don't have a good portfolio of offers, no matter if your offering is athletes or teams that offer sponsorships or if you have a marketplace that sells some physical goods and the demand people who want to buy that. And if you don't have enough sponsorships in our case, we're not interesting to sponsors. If we don't have any sponsors, we're not interesting to athletes and teams. So that's really challenging to kind of solve either one of the sides first or to try to scale up both sides at the same time. In our case, um, we decided to first build a portfolio of really interesting teams and athletes and 
thankfully, we kind of really struck a nerve. It was so fast that we had more than 1,000, then more than 2,000, then more than 3,000 athletes and teams from really different levels of professionalism on our platform. So up to Olympic gold medal winners or first division teams. And um, once we had that, it was much easier to, to acquire a sponsor, but um, it took a while. Um, and I think that's something that you generally have if you build a marketplace. So I also talk to other marketplace founders and you need a little bit of patience at the beginning. Um, and also the financial resources to kind of until you come to a place where you have enough supply and demand to really be successful. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the history of the internet is littered with failed marketplaces. <laughs> totally. On the other hand, on the other hand, there are, you know, Airbnb and Uber and eBay and so on. So uh, some some hugely successful companies. What other factors are at play that distinguish the, the wheat from the chaff? I think the really deciding factor is resilience. So you shouldn't give up if you don't have a fully functioning marketplace after a couple of months. You really need to, as Eli Musk would say, to eat glass at the beginning and to try to broker the first deal. So this follow the money strategy is really important. Once you have one maybe little segment of the entire sponsorship market in our place, it's something there you, where you could dive into. For example, we had some really cool sponsorships with free runners and parkour athletes in the beginning. And uh, these athletes talked to other parkour athletes that also then signed up on Sponzu. And um, the profiles that we had of these parkour athletes were visible online. So when sponsors browsed for parkour sponsorship, that they saw our portfolio reach out to us. And that was kind of a very small sub-vertical where we had enough supply and then also following from that enough demand to, to scale up. Yeah, then it was just more or less copy and paste to apply that to other sub-segments of the sponsorship market. Why is sponsorship such a vastly lucrative market? And also, why is it so difficult for even, you know, very famous or talented sports people to kind of find the right match or deal? And how do you guys try to, I guess, fix that with your platform? Yeah, the core challenge is that sponsorship is super heterogeneous and the market is extremely fragmented. I mean, sponsorship can be everything. It can be... Uh, parameter ad in the stadium, um, can be shirt sponsorship, can be influencer marketing, basically any exchange of goods or money from the sponsor um, for advertising services of the sponsorship rights holder. Because of this great variety and also the diversity in the market from individual athletes to teams to events, um, it's super difficult to identify the optimal sponsorship opportunity and the good thing is that it's challenging for everyone so it's also difficult for the brands in other words once we find a solution to make the market more comparable more data driven to give them an opportunity to really browse all of these sponsorship rights that there are um, we provide a lot of value but on the other side super fragmented so for us it's also a challenge to make our marketplace usable by all different kinds of sponsorships and sponsorship right holders uh, at the same time. So if someone creates a sponsorship profile on Sponzu, it, it needs to work for them and it needs to work no matter if it's a 15 year old esports influencer or the 75 year old president of an amateur sponsorship club, 
or the sponsorship manager of a first division Bundesliga club. Everyone should be able to use the platform in a way that works for them. And this is uh, kind of challenging for all the different types of sponsorship. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think you rightly pointed out uh, in interviews that the world of traditional sponsorship, sports sponsorship is pretty old school, right? It's yes. sort of out, like outdoor advertising is putting your name on a, on a logo, logo on, a, on a jersey. How has this traditional industry reacted to the threat of being disrupted by sponsor? Really depends who you're talking to. I vividly remember um, my first Spobis conference. This is like the go-to conference in sports sponsorship in Germany, um, where I talked to some, I think it was sponsored managers of third division teams that were already a little bit drunk and really laughed at the solution. Right? And they were like, yeah, my, we, we really don't need anyone to help us find additional sponsors. We're so successful. We really don't need that. And I'm like, yeah, but let's see. And one of one or two of them were like, hey, no, but this could actually be helpful. And there was a sponsor also at the table who said, yeah, um, sorry, but for me, it would be really useful to compare all the options. But they were like, no, no way. You really don't need that. And uh, oddly enough, the club uh, went bankrupt two years later. And nowadays we work with dozens of clubs in the first, second, third Bundesliga. Um so at the beginning, there was a lot of skepticism because it's a typical mindset. Hey, it has been working before. Why should anything change? We have always done it this way. Why do we need anything different? But what they don't see is that sponsorship is also just a form of marketing. And it's uh, fighting for the same marketing budgets than other forms of marketing that are already much more digital, much more data-driven, much more KPI-oriented, and also much easier to book and measure for the marketing decision makers. And if you don't keep up with that, you lose out. And um, that's something that now a couple of years later, many people within the market have realized and um, that helps us to market our solution. What's kind of the storyline that you've been telling um, in recent times, especially over the last year with yeah. a lot of sports stopping? I mean, sponsorship, it's still the same sponsorship should be data driven and you should look at the data to identify the ideal sponsorship opportunity and data doesn't only mean quantitative quantitative data um, about reach of sponsorship but also quantifiable data about image or target group and that's something that we can provide and there are still opportunities to sponsor something and reach your target group and tell your story as a brand um, Frankly speaking, the opportunities uh, have been reduced a little bit because matches don't take place or tournaments are canceled, but there is still enough opportunity in the market. And in that situation, we actually benefited as a marketplace from our really wide portfolio. We have more than 300 different sports. We have more than 10,000 athletes and um, clubs, and there was still enough sponsorship to be, to be booked. <laughs> So that's that. And generally, as someone who's challenging the market, it's also an opportunity if marketing budgets need to be reallocated. So a sponsor that doesn't give their full budget on the stuff that they have been doing for the last 10 years because the tournament that they've been sponsoring has been postponed, um, not necessarily just cancels the entire budget, but usually they have to reallocate it to something else. And for us, that's also an opportunity that you can seize. 
Now, that's interesting that you actually uh, benefited from COVID because like other parts of marketing and communications, people want more accountability and want to know what they spend their money on and, and digital solutions, obviously very effective and efficient way of doing that. I guess another growth opportunity for you is internationalization. And I know you're reaching out and want to expand into other countries and markets from the German speaking region. So how, how are your plans going there? And does that mean you have to adapt your communication strategy? Um, yes, we do. Maybe one word back on how we profited from COVID. We we didn't only profit. We also we also had deals that didn't didn't happen or that were cancelled. For example, we had sponsorship in beach volleyball where the payment was subject to the athletes participating in a certain number of events in the German beach tour. Beach tour was cancelled, so they couldn't fulfill all their obligations. Sponsors still paid more than they would be um, contractually obliged to, but this is stuff where we also lose out or uh, relatively large ice hockey sponsorship didn't take place because the season was postponed and postponed and postponed again until it finally started. And uh, we recently raised a funding round. So now we're investing the money in internationalization and kind of shifting our marketing approach a little bit. So. Uh, we've always been quite international. All our internal documentation is in English um, and always has been. Even at times where all our employees spoke German, but uh, that makes the shift easy. We hire someone um, who is going to manage our internationalization efforts going to start on April 1st. And we will be shifting all our domains to a more international version. This is also really important for us. We get lots of traffic from Google. Currently, most of the traffic goes to the sponsor.de domain. And we figured that a sponsor from outside of Germany probably might prefer the .com domain. So now we're in the progress of kind of shifting all that to the .com domain and uh, hopefully not killing all our Google placements in the process. One thing you mentioned before um, that the problem you identified is the fragmentation of the market. And I think that's something that a lot of industries and companies and everyone kind of struggles with. What's really the, the benefit of consolidation there and how do you communicate those benefits? I mean, there are several benefits to uh, consolidation. First of all, quite obviously, it allows you to bundle sponsorship rights. So we have one sponsor, just as an example, from the fitness industry a sports nutrition brand that has a portfolio of 50 sports influencers. And they have their entire portfolio uh, managed by us and booked all the athletes through us. And for them, it's quite an advantage. They get one invoice from us at the end of the month and we take care of paying all the individual influencers. They have all the contracts in one place. The influencers can report their posts to one place. They can share photos that they generated to one place where they are automatically included in a kind of self-filling image gallery for the sponsor. So they have everything in one place and um, the standardization and packaging of deals is really an advantage. The second thing is the um, opportunity to better compare different options. So, if you don't have any standardized form of comparing sponsorships, you really have to find out how to compare, for example, a, uh, an individual athlete to a Pyrometer ad sponsorship opportunity of a professional team. 
And um, that's not so easy if it's presented in a very different form. And for us, everything is standardized. And thirdly, the standardization also goes along the entire process. Because of the polarization in this one place, we can really define market standards. And the more standards you have in a market, the lower your um, transaction costs are. And especially if you sponsor smaller teams, uh, this is really an issue. So, I mean, if you sponsor Bayern Munich, the transaction costs are kind of okay compared to how much you pay for the ride. But if you, for example, would sponsor 100 amateur football team or uh, 500 small influencers, transaction costs are the most important part of the entire deal. And if you can bring that down, the entire sponsorship becomes more economical for you. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I can I can I can absolutely see the demand for this. And you you mentioned that search engine optimization and search engine advertising are important channels for you, and yeah. you do a fair amount of PR. We see articles about Sponsu, and uh, you obviously like to speak uh, at events. Uh, you, you're on Clubhouse panels. What are what do you enjoy about communications? What what's the most preferred channel or, or opportunity for you right now? Um, for me as a CEO, the communication is always uh, also an opportunity to get feedback. And especially feedback from someone who doesn't report to my, me directly. And it's kind of, in Germany, we would say Betriebsblind. So they're kind of blinded by working every day for the same company. Um, and that has been providing really interesting insights from people who are maybe experts in sponsorship, but also from people who are who had no prior connection to sponsorships and have different mindsets and different ideas. And that's something really valuable. And also as a founder, I mean, I love working for Sponsor. I really enjoy uh, my business and uh, obviously I enjoy talking about it. I, I do hope that people listening to it enjoy it as well. But uh, yeah, either the people are really polite or... <laughs> How would you actually describe the kind of leadership and communication style that you're trying to bring about in the work that you do? So one of our core principles is transparency. Um, we have regular meetings with our employees where we share all of the most important KPI of the business. So every employee at every time um, can be able to find how many sponsorships we sold, how much revenue we are currently making, how much money is in our bankroll. Also at times where there's very little money and trust me, this happens if you work in a startup. Um, well, and everything they want to know. Um, we, we wouldn't, necessarily tell them so if someone asks hey how much is my uh, how is the salary of my colleague that's probably something what that we wouldn't share also because there are at least some privacy rules but generally we want to be really really transparent and um, I think the trust that you gain with that is something that also then really helps you as a leader to to steer your company through all times, through different difficult times, but also through successful times where everyone sees how successful we are and is happy that the company is progressing. Yeah, I like that. And, and openness and transparency, I fully agree. These are very important leadership principles, especially in a startup where, you know, you're, you're basically in uncharted waters. Um, what I love is that you also speak about the startups or the ventures that didn't go so well as Sponsu does at the moment. And you sometimes speak of those fuck up nights uh, where people, uh, you know, report about their epic failures. Do you want to tell the story here? Sure. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I had two other startups before. One was actually 
well, not unsuccessful. We kind of went into sleep mode and I uh, then sold it to another company for a very small amount, but still for some money. But the other was a total fuck up. So we really, really failed with that. Um, it was called College Friends, a copy of my CV says a copy of Facebook, but actually it was a copy of StudiVZ, so a copy of the German copy of Facebook for Hungary. And um, back in college, when we worked on the startup, we had no idea what we were supposed to do and um, tried to make the website really perfect before launching. And then eventually kept postponing the launch and kept postponing it and kept postponing it until we really missed our chance. And um, then we sold the company via eBay uh, for way too little money to someone who instantly deleted all the website that all the source code that we have built had built over quite a long period of time and sold the domain collegefriends.hu and I think we also had the .com domain for quite a profit a couple of weeks later and we were like oh okay that was really stupid. Um, that's the short story. I tell the longer story uh, sometimes at fuck up night. And um, yeah, I think it's important to also allow uh, to fail and to be open about it. Also internally at Sponzu. So everyone is allowed to fuck up uh, unless you do stuff voluntarily or repeat the same mistake over and over and over again. Uh, you won't get yelled at uh, if you make a mistake and this culture is important for people to um, have the faith that they can try out new things. And only if you have the faith to do that, you can be successful as someone who is challenging the status quo. I think that's a really great learning that you should have that space um, to fail and fuck up and hopefully get better. You, you also mentioned in the blog post that uh, sometimes a bit, it is a bit frustrating to be a founder entrepreneur in Germany. And, and obviously this, this culture that you can't fail in Germany is still prevailing, uh, is, is still annoying to most of us entrepreneurs. But what particularly bothers you about being a being a startup entrepreneur in Germany and how, how would you fix it? Yeah, that's a good question. The failure culture definitely is the thing, although I have the feeling that it has been improving in the last couple of years. So people are much more open now towards failure. It's not like in the US where you're celebrated if you fail with something, not quite, but it's getting better. And I think an important way to change it is just to talk about it and to allow failures and i mean just today when we were recording this our chancellor um, said that they failed with their corona measures and changed something and while i disagree that the original measure was not very clever i think it's good that they are openly communicating um hey we fucked this one up and we're changing it um so that's something that is frustrating but is changing and the other thing is the bureaucracy I'm not sure if that's Germany specific. So I figure if you found a business in the US or in Spain or somewhere else in the world, you would probably also complain about bureaucracy, but it's slowing you down so much. And especially me as the CEO, because I have to, to manage all these bureaucratic processes. And it's sometimes really frustrating if I talk to different health insurance providers or authorities and spend like 80% of my time doing this stuff that is adding no real value to my business while I know perfectly well that I should be doing someone something else that 
can really take us forward. But yeah, I, I mean, you can't ignore it on the other side. I can't just tell the fiscal authority, sorry, I'm, I don't like the bureaucracy, so I don't answer your requests. That's yeah, how it works. It's not optional, unfortunately for us who yeah. run companies. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. I hear you on this. And uh, less bureaucracy would, would definitely be better for, for everyone involved. On a more positive note, um, you're obviously a great communicator. You, you, you're out there doing PR and uh, Clubhouse and, and great on social media. But if you think about, okay, one year from now, I want to be a communicator on an even higher level. Have you have you got any objectives or targets or things skills you want to develop over the next year or so to become an even more accomplished communicator? Uh, definitely. First of all, and you probably have noticed that uh, I could still work on keeping my answers a little bit shorter and more to the point. And uh, second, uh, I really I actually have a schedule for social media posts to communicate more frequent frequently and more targeted about issues that I care about. Um, also a little bit with the help of my team. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I posted two or three things on Instagram in the last month and had one or two LinkedIn posts. And uh, that could definitely be improved in terms of quantity. I guess um, that's like definitely something that everyone's trying to work on. And obviously, you know, managing, building up your personal brand and communicating and running a company is not easy. It's juggling a lot of things at one time. What would be your final piece of advice for other founders or people wanting to start a startup to kind of manage all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, focus, 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 right? You have to focus on the issues that are really important and keep working on that and maybe keep saving time in your schedule for certain things that are important, for example, for communication. Um, that's certainly something that I can improve on as well. And um, as a founder, you should see yourself as a brand as well. You are a spokesperson for the company and uh, your personal brand is maybe not just important as a brand, that you're working on itself, your company, but it's also part of that. And I, re I really remember, so Jung von Mats Sports, Germany's leading advertising agency is one of our shareholders. And they told us, hey, if you want to build brands as a marketing company, you should be a brand yourself. And if I see the directors of the different Jung von Mats subsidiary companies, they are really managing that well. And that's something that... Uh, we can learn from every day and get inspired from. How would you describe your personal brand? What, what do you stand for? I definitely also stand for transparency to the outside and not being ashamed in any way to admit that I failed at parts or that I might be maybe, maybe struggling with parts of our business. Um, on the other side, also not being ashamed to publicly tell when I'm successful with something. It's also something that's not um, always the case in Germany um, so transparency is one thing um, as a person I think I'm a little bit nerdy and uh, I do feel that I also transport that in my communication so I think for example in, on my LinkedIn page I have an article that I wrote sometime uh, about why Jon Snow is not such a bad leader after all uh, when Game of Thrones still was cool um, and obviously, I care really a lot about sports. And uh, sports has always been part of my life. Sports is not part of my business. And sports is very 
uh, frequently mentioned in all the things that I communicate about. Would you be happy to just be known as the sports sponsoring guru or guy? Or is that too single dimensional for you? Maybe a little bit singular, but would be fine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if I'm the sports sponsoring guru, that would be an awesome, <laughs> Way an to awesome go. place in the market, right? Because mm -hmm. I would be attracting all the sponsors that are interesting for us. Um, depends. So I'm, me as a person, I'm not only the sports sponsorship guy. Um, I think my Instagram profile says sports entrepreneur, which is a little bit broader and I think captures it quite well. Well, definitely exciting things to come, I'm sure. Definitely. Keep, keep an eye out for us and obviously follow us on all our social media profiles so that my marketing manager is happy in her next feedback meeting. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just learn about everything that is changing in the market and it's Ponzu in the next couple of months and years. And there's really exciting stuff to come. Amazing. Fantastic. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this conversation with Andreas Kitzing, the sports sponsorship guru, maybe you want to check out some of our other episodes we had with sports companies like Urban Sports Club. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you, Lena. Thanks, everyone, for listening and see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to work with me and build and scale a profitable personal brand in just five weeks, check out the Unignorable Masters program on oliverhours.com. It's 60% off at the moment and we're launching on the 19th of April. Because the invisible don't reach their full potential life, the unignorable do.